How's everyone feeling this morning? Good. <clears throat> Happy New Year. So has anyone made uh, New Year's resolutions? No one here has made a New Year's resolution? Shame on you. I think everyone makes New Year's resolutions, right? So according to Best Life magazine, it's a great name, a thousand U.S. adults were asked what their 2021 New Year's resolutions were. So here are the top six responses. Number six, find love. Hey, that's, a, that's a good one. Number five, get a new job. That's a good one too. We need jobs. Number four, make new friends. Who wants to make new friends? I'm an extrovert. I want you all to be my friends. I love you all. Number three, travel more. We've been stuck in our houses. We need to travel more. That's a good resolution. Number two, save money, get out of debt. That's a good one. And the number one New Year's resolution for 2021, exercise more, lose weight. I think we can get after that one. So after I read these, I went back and I looked at some of my old journals, diaries, to see how these resolutions compared with mine. So from 2012, I'm going way back, don't judge me. Keep a daily diary of your habits. <laughs> that lasted like four days. <laughs> Listen more than you talk. I'm still working on that. Diet and exercise, yeah? And don't be afraid to say no. From 2016, spend more time with dad. Read the Bible out loud with Rebecca. Listen to Rebecca. Still working on that. Remember people's names and pray for them. And go to the gym. So here are a few suggestions for us as a church. Reach out to and pray with family and friends. Join a community group. Remember that vision that we had for 2020? Get involved with the church, join a community group, get into a discipleship relationship. Let's keep doing that. Smile more. We're, we've been wearing masks, hiding the smile. Smile more. I see you guys smiling, I love it. Smile more. Talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus more this year. And find an accountability partner who will encourage you in the Lord. So what would Jesus say that the top resolution should be for us? I bet you he would say, come to me. I bet you Jesus would say, come to me. Will you guys pray with me? Pray with me. Almighty, gracious Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we praise you. We exalt you, Lord. Who is like you, O oh Lord? Who is like you?
awesome and mighty, doing many wonders. Who is like you? We thank you for this beautiful morning. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for this family. I ask, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would be with them, that you would open their hearts to hear your word, that you would open my mouth to speak your word faithfully, that I would glorify you and magnify you above all things. We love you, Lord, and we praise you when we ask all these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready to talk about Jesus? Are you ready to receive this morning's message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true? So let me provide a little context for this morning's passage. I won't start in Genesis. Sometimes I like going all the way back to Genesis saying, in the beginning, I'm going to start in Matthew 4. So if you haven't turned there yet, go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It's quiet, the pages are rumbling. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So we see that Jesus continues to preach, teach, drive out demons, and heal in chapters 5 through 9. And in chapter 10, of Matthew, Jesus calls the 12 disciples and he instructs them. Chapter 10, verse 5. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. And Jesus continues to instruct the disciples throughout chapter 10. And in chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went out from there to teach and preach in their cities. So we see in verse 2 of chapter 11, where Jesus encounters some doubt on behalf of John the Baptist regarding whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus lovingly and compassionately reassures John's disciples that he is indeed the one who is to come. 
He indeed is the one who is to come. So he reminds them in verse 5, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Then we see in verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. And in verse 20 of chapter 11, is where Jesus starts to get serious. Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. Jesus continues, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been, you, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus had healed diseases, raised the dead, opened the eyes of the blind, preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. But the cities in the region of Galilee, they chose not to repent. This doesn't sound like good news. Who then can be saved if Jesus has just condemned the cities he did those mighty works in? So our big idea. Those who accept Jesus' invitation to come to him will find eternal rest for their souls. So here's a, here's a mini outline of what I'm going to teach on. Once again, the big idea. Those who accept Jesus' invitation to come to him will find eternal rest for their souls. You can write that down, or like uh, Andy said last week, you can draw pictures of Jesus saying woe to a bunch of cities. No, don't do that. Write a big heart with a cross in it. Draw that. So here's an outline of what I'll teach this morning. We'll begin by taking a look at the prayer of Jesus to the Father in verses 25 and 26, where the Father is magnified. And next, in verse 27, I will touch on the unique relationship between the Father and Son, where both are magnified. And I'll conclude with verses 28 through 30, where Jesus is magnified, and I'll emphasize our need to accept Jesus' invitation to come to him. So our first main point, a prayer of thanksgiving for concealing and revealing these things. So verse 25, chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, or Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Wait a second. 
Let's pause for a second. In verses 20 through 24, Jesus has just denounced the cities and was saying, Whoa! Jesus was judging them, saying that the judgment would be more tolerable for Sodom than for them because they did not repent. But now Jesus is thanking the Father. We see at that time, Jesus is thanking the Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is putting on the display of God's sovereignty, God's complete rule over all things. Jesus is praising the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for concealing and revealing these things. What are these things? What are these things? So God is hiding these things, concealing these things from the cities. I think these things refer to the things that Jesus was doing before their very eyes. The mighty works. Do you recall what Jesus told his disciples, John's disciples? Jesus said previously in verse 4, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. These things, the teachings of Jesus, his miracles, the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Is anyone thinking to themselves, why didn't they repent if they had all this revelation? Why didn't they repent if they saw all these things? Why didn't they repent? Maybe you've been told the good news about Jesus and set it aside, rejected it, doubted it. Do we pause to reflect the things that Jesus has done in our lives? How he's crying out to us. How he's saying, come to me. Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we going to the scriptures? John the Baptist asked his disciples to go and check if Jesus was the one to come. And Jesus brings them back to the scriptures. He reminds them of him. So when we have these moments of doubt, let's cry out. Let's, let's say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We need the help of Jesus to believe. Keep believing, Christians. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. 
Remind yourself of those things. Remind others of those things. So unfortunately, we see, we go back to the woes, we see in verse 20 that not everyone believed these things. Not everyone believed these things. So these things are hidden from them because they did not repent. So in verse 25, we have Jesus thanking the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for concealing and revealing these things. The Father hides, conceals these things from the wise and understanding. Who are the wise and understanding? The wise and the understanding are those who did not repent. God hides the truth of the gospel from them. Capernaum, the city which thought it would be exalted to heaven. They thought they were wise and understanding. These are the ones who thought they already had it all together. They were indifferent to the message of God. Healing the sick, saving people from their sins, that's cool. But Jesus is not for me. Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I'm not a tax collector or a sinner. I'm going to go back and and wait for a a different Messiah. One who's going to come and rule the world and reign and take over everything. Doesn't this attitude sound like some people you may know personally? Maybe even your own friends and family when you tell them about Jesus? They respond to the gospel message with an uninterested attitude. They let you know that they got it all figured out. Everything is good in life. They say everything is fine. I've got a great job. I've got money in the bank. It's cool if you do the Jesus thing. It's just not for me. So hang with me for a sec. It's not necessarily the case that people are too smart or intelligent for Jesus, right? It's that they're too self-sufficient. They're indifferent. They don't care that much. They got life figured out. They got plans for the future. They don't see their need for a savior. They don't see their need for a savior. But in contrast, the Father reveals these things the gospel message of the kingdom of God to little children. Little children. Nepios. The childlike. The innocent ones. The ones unspoiled by learning. These little children, they see their need for a savior. They desire wisdom, but not the wisdom of this world. The wisdom from above, the wisdom of God. Listen to what Jesus says about little children in Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing to him, they were bringing to Jesus the children that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was displeased or grieved and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And in verse 26, Jesus says, Father, for such was your gracious will. Mm. The gracious will of God was to conceal or hide the message of the kingdom of God to the wise and understanding and reveal it to little children. So we see two types of responses happening, right? People are going to respond by not repenting. They possess an indifferent attitude towards the gospel. Or they're going to recognize their need of a savior and respond by coming to him. So we read in verses 25 and 26 that it was Jesus exalting the Father, the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth. The emphasis was on the Father. Now we're going to see a transition of authority begin to take place in verse 27. Point number two. Jesus and the Father are one. Read verse 27 with me. Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to the whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This verse highlights both the Father and the Son. Jesus begins with, All things have been handed over to me by the Father. That's a hefty statement. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. Jesus is telling us that his relationship with the Father is one of a kind. Jesus has access to the Father that no one else has. No one else in heaven and earth has have the type of relationship that the Father and Son possess. So Greg Lanier in his book, Is Jesus Truly God? Let me answer that for you so you don't have to read it. Yes, Jesus is truly God. It just came out this year. There's a whole chapter devoted to the uniqueness of the Father and Son relationship. So let me read to you what Lanier writes. Lanier writes, Infinitely more than even the most devoted marriage or friendship. The essence of their relationship as father and son is one of mutual knowing or mutual revealing. The father knows the son in an exclusive way. And the son knows the father in an exclusive way. No other figure royal or otherwise, can approach the uniqueness of this divine relationship. Lanier continues, that is who they are as father and son. That is the definition of their existence. That is what it means to be the triune God. The persons exhaustively know and reveal one another. End of quote. And you know what is amazing and awesome and crazy? 
this triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, wants to be in a relationship with us. You and me. Take a moment to pause and breathe that in. I don't know if we do this enough. Think about the magnificent glory of the Lord of heaven and earth. Do we? He wants to be in relationship with us. The one who controls the universe. Now, right now, for me, even as I say it, it's mind-boggling that this God would allow me to even speak of his great name. my place again. Jesus said, all things have been handed over to the Son. So I don't know exactly what all things refers to. It kind of sounds like all things. Maybe except for that day or hour when heaven and earth will pass away. Only the Father knows that day. But in the context of this passage, I think all things refers to the knowledge of the concealing and revealing of these things. This knowledge and authority has been handed over to the Son, has been handed over to Jesus. John 14, 6. What did Jesus say? John 14, 6. I know you, got all, you, you all have that memorized. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Repeat after me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to God. You cannot get to God through any other way. No other way. No good works. You can't get to God through anything or anyone other than Jesus. No Buddha, no yoga, no going to the gym, no Muhammad, no anybody other than Jesus. He's the only way. So our final section, verses 28 through 30, focus specifically on King Jesus. Point number three. An invitation unlike any other. An invitation unlike any other. Read with me verses 28 through 30. Beautiful passage. Come to me, all who labor. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
didn't Jesus just judge the cities and say, these things were hidden from them? And now Jesus is saying, come to me, all? Yeah. Jesus says, come to me. And this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus says straight up, come to me. Have you ever heard of someone talk about an amazing party that they went to? And they're just going on and on about how great the party was. And you're thinking to yourself, how come I wasn't invited to that party? <laughs> like you're telling me, like, did you like, know that I wasn't there? Trying to rub it in. No one is going to be able to say that they were not invited to come to King Jesus. No one's going to be able to say that they weren't invited. Jesus invites everyone to come to him. So for those of you who do not know Jesus... You have just received an invitation from Jesus to be saved from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus is saying, come here, come now, come to me. So who is Jesus saying these things to? All who labor and are heavy laden. So on the one hand, God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding. And on the other hand, Jesus is calling all who labor and are heavy laden into a relationship with him. Sounds like two truths, right? They're two parallel truths. God is the sovereign ruler over heaven and earth. One truth. And People, they must decide whether or not they're going to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. A beautiful and wonderful mystery, indeed. Jesus calls all who labor and are heavy laden. So labor in verse 28 can also be translated weary or tired to be weary. The word translated heavy laden can be translated burdened. So imagine that you're carrying this like heavy load. There's a burden on your back, a heavy, heavy burden. You're tired. You're laboring. The burden is heaven. The burden is heavy, excuse me. Why is it that it is so laborious and burdensome? What is that weight? The weight of sin? The weight of guilt? The weight of trying to keep the law as presented by the Pharisees and the scribes? The weight of trying to keep up with the world and all its demands? Its traditions? The, wo the weight of having no hope? 
In Matthew 23, chapter 23, in verse 2, Jesus said, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus says to those who are tired of carrying those weights, come to me and I'll give you rest. You guys want some rest this morning? You're tired of carrying your burdens? Jesus is the only place you'll find true and everlasting rest. So what makes coming to Jesus so restful? It is the yoke that he puts on you. And why should we take this yoke upon us? Because the yoke of Jesus is easy and his burden is light. Verses 29-30, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we find rest for our souls? By taking on the yoke of Jesus. So let's get this definition of yoke out of the way. I think we have a couple pictures of a yoke. Do we have some pictures of a yoke? No? We don't have pictures of a yoke? I'll tell you what yoke is. Yoke is not an egg. Like over easy. We know that Jesus' burden, it is over easy. So now, now that I say this, every time you eat eggs, you're going to be thinking about Jesus' yoke is easy. But it's not, it's not an egg. Sorry, I digress. It's not an egg. Yoke is most commonly defined as a wooden frame used to connect two animals together. So think of this frame with two huge hoops. And two animals are placed in it like two big oxen. And they carry heavy loads, or they plow like a field. Or there's a yoke that can be placed on your shoulder for a person. You know, you put this thing across your neck and you carry like buckets. For you weightlifters, you're doing like squats, putting the heavy weight on your neck. That's the best I can do with yoke. You're going to have to talk to Dr. Doobie or Dr. Griever or Dr. Mead to maybe figure out what a yoke is. But I think that's what a yoke is. And I think, I think Jesus is referring to a yoke personally. Like you would put it on your neck personally, like his yoke. That's what I think Jesus is referring to. This yoke, I believe to be Jesus' teachings, his commands. And he's giving you his yoke to carry. You have put your faith in Jesus. You are now one with Jesus. And he places on you his commands. You are now his. Hopefully I explained that well. We are to observe and obey his commandments because they are light. And his burden is easy. 
And we saw that the yoke of the Pharisees, the yoke of the law, was heavy and burdensome. But the yoke of Jesus is not burdensome. First John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So what are his commandments? Hey, Bill. Yeah, so Bill wants me to demonstrate what a yoke is with him. So help me. How do you want me to do this? Like, Yes. But I can't do it without you. Yes. So you, you are in relationship with Jesus, and now you can carry this yoke, but it's light. Oh, you're here. Yes. Wow. I thought you were way up there. <laughs> no, no. I'm humble. Jesus says I'm humble and lowly. I'm gentle and lowly. Walk with me. Come with me. Okay. Come with me, Bill. Walk with me. Okay. Yes. Walk with me. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. And I can rest. And you can rest. Okay. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Thank you for coming up here and demonstrating that. Bill is going to be our picture from now on. Thank you, Bill. Bless your soul, brother. Mm. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That is the yoke that Jesus commands you to carry. That low yoke. Place that, no, place that yoke on your neck. Would you want anything other than that on your neck? There's so many things that we're carrying that are just like heavy. Ugh. Jesus wants you to love God with all your being. Jesus wants you to love others. How will people know that you are followers of Jesus? By your love for one another. So we want to learn from Jesus because Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. The heart of Jesus is gentle and humble, lowly. Jesus isn't going to give you something you cannot carry. So maybe you're still thinking you can't get close to this Jesus because of your past or present sin. But Jesus is saying, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm approachable. Come. Come now, this heart of Jesus. He wants you to come to him. You know this book we just handed out? 
We didn't hand it to you yet, Julio. Gentle and lowly. It's going around the congregation. Gentle and lowly by Dane Orland. Um, this amazing young gentleman this summer gifted me this book. Great, great book. And uh, I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts from it. Gentle and lowly. Orland writes, The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. Orland continues, Case closed. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. First at conversion and a thousand times thereafterward until we are with him upon death. End of quote. Is there anyone here today or who is listening online that is poor in spirit, who is tired, who is not in relationship with Jesus? What is Jesus saying right now? Come to me. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Jesus said there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus paid for the penalty of our sins, the penalty for the sins of mankind by the death, by his death on a cross. Jesus was buried, resurrected, and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Can I share something with you guys? Thank you, Kevin. I am a sinner. Just in case you didn't know. Ask my wife. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. The night it first hit me, the night it first hit me that I was burdened with sin and guilt, the night when my eyes were opened was the day my mom died. Almost 14 years ago. I was driving home late at night. It's raining cats and dogs. That means it's raining really, really hard. And I cry out to God, out of all the people in the world, why would you take my mom from me?
Why would you take my mom from me? I remember standing in the front door of my apartment, feeling the weight of sin. It was heavy. It felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. I could feel it in my neck. I could feel it in my chest. The guilt that was, that was in my heart was heavy. Like a nasty glob of black tar. Like there was this hundred pound weight in the middle of my chest. I couldn't move. And all of a sudden, I was drawn into my closet, into my bedroom closet. And I got down on my knees and cried out to Jesus. I planted my face in the carpet and cried out to Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me for my sins. I was in that closet for at least an hour. And I got up and walked out and I felt like I could fly. The weight had been lifted. And you know, the funny thing is, there was an NIV Bible that my mom had given me that was on my nightstand. And I can swear that there was this like light shining on it. I don't know that there was a light shining on it. I don't think I'm crazy. But I could swear there was a light shining on it. And I grabbed that Bible and I started reading the Gospel of Matthew. And after that, all I wanted to do was talk about Jesus. So fast forward to today. I'm still a sinner. Saved by grace. So in conclusion, some of you might feel like you are very far away from Jesus. Maybe you can't stop looking at pornography. You might have looked at something you shouldn't have looked at last night. Maybe you looked at it this morning. Maybe you can't stop lying. Maybe you just yelled at your spouse this week. Maybe on the way to church. Maybe you're in a sexually immoral relationship. Maybe you haven't prayed or read your Bible this week. Maybe not even this month. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Maybe you don't know Jesus. But you want to know this Jesus. 
that Matthew speaks of. You want to know him. You just don't know how to get there. The sin, you feel like the sin is separating you. Jesus says, come. Come now. Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners like you and me. Hmm. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nowhere in the Bible do I read that Jesus is the awful counselor. We read that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and that he will save his people from their sins. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Can I remind you one more time? You know what Jesus says to you and me? Jesus says, come to me, I'm approachable and gentle and lowly and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, come now. May our number one New Year's resolution be, go to Jesus, always and forever. Amen? Let's pray.